Hi, I'm Bernard Leung, and you may know me as the executive who gave up a job from Amazon US to join Singpost in my past life. And in my spare time, I want to know how my former boss is transforming Lux Asia Group and rethinking omni-channel retail. You are listening to Analyze Asia, the weekly podcast dedicated to business, technology, and media in Asia. And today, my guest is someone who I've wanted to interview for ages. He's none other than Dr. Wolfgang Bayer, Group CEO of Lux Asia, my former boss and current mentor, who I'm thankful for many major successes of my career. Welcome, Wolfgang, and it's finally great to have you here. It's amazing to be here. You know, thanks a lot, Bernard. Yeah, and I think we met, I think, in 2013, and I've joined as the former head of digital from Singpost, and I'm always glad to let everyone know that you've given me this major career break. And this interview is something that we have always been thinking about, but we thought we kept enough distance. I think now we can talk about it as in some of the more interesting parts of your past and some of the big crowning achievements of your career. But to get the thing started, I want to get my audience to know you better. So how do you start your career work? Eh? Well, my, my career was very simple. You know, I grew up in Austria and I did a double degree. I majored in law and business economics and then I was thinking about what should I do? It was pretty clear, you know, I was almost destined to become a lawyer. But last minute, a friend of mine said, hey, you know, there's this McKinsey company, you know, they do pretty cool stuff. Why don't you talk to them? The rest was basically history. Stayed there for 10 years, you know, in, across Europe, worked a little bit in the US, then a lot of time in Asia, here in Singapore and across the region. Yeah, and had lots of fun until, you know, one day that, that there was this call from uh, Singapore Post to, to say, hey, you know, we're looking for someone to transform the company. And, you know, the, the first reaction was, oh, fantastic opportunity. But, you know, I, I worked for more than 10 years at McKinsey Company and had everything set up. So it was a little bit like, wait, should I really kind of throw all of that out and, and go into the unknown, you know, in Singapore? But after some reflection, discussion, you know, I, I took on the challenge and I think we had uh, lots of fun and, and, and a great time and learned a lot over those five years at Singapore Post and, and then basically reflected uh, what to do next. And I said quite often, you know, I, I did it very analytical. I went for three months around the world. I had 70 plus conversations, you know, and had, uh, with different people across the world to say what to do next. And, and by chance, to be honest, it ended up again in Singapore because I met the current chairman and owner of, of Lux Asia, Patrick Chong, and we clicked because it was again similar to what I, I like to do most, brick-and-mortar businesses that need to be digitized into digital and can become an industry leader. Like we did with Singpost back then, I think that's the same and similar background here at Laxasia, where with the right omnichannel strategy and implementation, it can really overtake a lot of the peers and become a unique player in the beauty industry. And, and from Europe to Asia, what are your reflections in terms of the culture changes and in terms of business environment? What have you thought about ever since after leading both Singpost and Laxasia now? You know, there are differences. I personally think that there's a much bigger difference between the, the Anglo-Saxon and, and U.S. kind of way of doing business and the European-Asian way, way. I believe Europe and Asia is much, much closer together. Obviously, I come from a German background, you know, although I'm Austrian, you know. So that, that therefore, obviously, you would be in Europe much more direct. But, you know, now 15 years in Asia have taught me that uh, I think you can get a lot done also without being too direct and, and making sure that people do not lose their face in big meetings and basically spare that directness and clear views uh, for one-on-ones, you know. And I have to say that mix of European background as well as, you know, that deep experience in Asia leading mostly Asians, you know, which has made me a, 
I would say a much better leader because you know it's it's much more balanced in the way you approach things, and it's not that that typical Western. Oh yeah, you know it is as it is, and it has to be like that. But you say, hey, there are many ways who lead to a certain solution, and and bringing the people along has become a, a mantra for me. So, in your career journey, then, what are the most interesting lessons you can share with my audience? You know, for for me, I started off very uh, analytical you know in, in a McKinsey environment you, you put together a solution you know and, and then it has to work and when I moved over to, to become an executive after more than 10 years you know in, in advisory consulting I became pretty it became pretty clear that the problem solving is maybe five percent or that the strategy is five percent of the job you know and 95 percent is about making sure that people actually do how, how the strategy is set and also feedback so that you can adjust it you know and so for me it, it has completely changed my mind so, so so that's why I always say people is first second and third priority and I think that's really what I try to live every day you know sometimes you you, you get sucked back into kind of that oh let, let, let's do a, a, a great problem solving session and everything else and get ahead of the problem but at the same time you need to realize you cannot leave anyone behind and so the one thing that I really realized is, is people 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 spending the time on it and, and the more I see it is talent acquisition and having the right fund is becoming even more important than retention because when I look at millennials and, and generation set you know they, they have a different view of life it, it, it's not they don't want to continue to work for a long time but it's a different mindset it's stints it's two to three years here two to three years there several jobs at the same time so having a good pipeline is very important so I think that's one big topic and the second topic you know which came to me really through a couple of experiences is, is omnichannel I know many people talk about omnichannel now you remember when we first mm. talked about eight years ago everyone said only what but it's really there is no e-commerce solution or there is no brick and mortar solution i believe that the solution is always at the combination of both you know the consumer need to be at the center and then the rest kind of you need to to take around and and whenever management teams or companies i think go too much off into one road you can see that they're, that they're struggling on the other side it's the combination of, of everything that's put it together and i believe there is a soft spot still to create a lot of value uh, for companies and and get into explosive growth so while well, we still have the chance here so in our past lives you have engineered one of the major corporate transformations in singapore with your past role as the group ceo of singapore they say in our lives we have only a few opportunities to work few great teams and I'm lucky that I was actually part of a very very best senior management team with you who I work for and you're the captain of the journey and a lot of people always like to ask me so and I'm going to direct the question to you how did you manage to convince the Alibaba group to invest almost US 300 million into Singpost and turn it into a regional leader for e-commerce logistics? That was certainly a highlight. I think, first of all, I think it's always a team effort, we have to say, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, you know. The team we put together from all over the world, you know, homegrown Singaporeans, experts from all over the world, was just a unique mix of where we're going. And, and I think many people acknowledged that within the industry, that was the most unique management team that, that was around. On Alibaba, you know, it, it was more a story about exploration you know we got to know them they understood that we're doing something on e-commerce on the logistics part and so they came down to Singapore and wanted to understand a little bit more what we're doing you know because they obviously said oh yeah you know you are a former McKinsey partner you can talk a lot you know and then you guys can do nice presentations so for sure you know you guys can do a good talk I basically then said you know why don't you guys then look what we've done on the ground and we opened up our operations for due diligence to say here are the keys to our operations you know go around for two three weeks you know and check it out and they came back and said you know 
that is really quite impressive. Can we invest? And that's when it all started, you know. And then obviously there are hundreds of, of discussions after that and, and lots of different things out there until it came to that, going through through our governance policies and also on the other side, obviously Alibaba itself, going through the thought process. But that was really the, the, the initial stimulus, which, you know, I will never forget, you know, when, when basically the, you had that view and then said, wow, you know, we must be doing something right then. Well, I have to be fair here that Wolfgang have done a lot of work in terms of transforming the delivery bases, the post offices. I think I do remember you also play football with the postman. Of and course, that's yeah. how they used to call you boss. And I remember the, the day after this investment was made and then you were in one of the delivery bases and some of us were accompanying you. We had one of our Malay colleagues, I think, in the sort of low-income workers who were actually working for the company for many years, walking up to you and saying, boss, we want to work for you. I also want my kids to work for you in Singapore. And I think that that transformed the way how the company actually thinks about their future. Yes, no, I think there was a major shift. You know, along the transformation, what we always knew is kind of, along with the mantra of people first, we had to take care of the frontliners. You know, because as management team and middle management, you know, you talk a lot, you, you try to figure out, but the people on the ground are really making the difference, every single customer interaction. And so what we did, we, we sat down with the union very early and said, what would the, the workers like along that journey? You know, so, so we, we increased kind of the minimum wage, we put different incentive packages in there, you know, always looking after meritocracy, you know, kind of people who delivered more basically were getting much, much more. And so we were able to get that whole story, like that one delivery postman, and I, I still uh, remember that fondly, said, hey, you know, boss, you know, I was looking around to, to look somewhere else, but now I also want my children to work here. Mm-hmm. That really made my day, or I would say my year, you know, much more than any investment or anything else, because you could see that the whole organization was changing and understanding that with change good things happen and you, you can build a future. And I think that we want to now also look to the future and then now when it comes to what you're doing now we want to talk about Lux Asia Group. So from what I understand Lux Asia Group is the leading omni-channel partner for beauty and luxury lifestyle brand distribution retail and e-commerce in Asia Pacific founded by Patrick Chong who's the current chairman of the group. Lux Asia has an impressive list of trusted business partners with major prestige mass stage and niche brands in the space, including the LVMH Group, Louis Vuitton Moe Hennessy, and Hermes, and many, many others. I want to start off by asking you, can you introduce the backstory behind the Lux Asia Group and the mission and vision of the company today? So, so Lux Asia Group was founded by Patrick Chong, our current chairman, more than 30 years ago in Singapore and has very swiftly developed in, into the leading Asia's luxury, beauty luxury distributor. We now basically are present across uh, Asia Pacific. We just recently acquired the controlling stake in a distribution business in Australia. We do a joint venture in India. So by now, basically, we have the full 15 country coverage Asia Pacific, which is amazing. We have more than 120 brands, which is really a lot. And trust me, you know, that, 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 that also takes a lot of time away. But it, it's, it's a great kind of journey for all the employees because you have such a portfolio of, of classic skincare beauty, you know, fragrance, makeup, hair care. We also now have jewelry, sunglasses. So a, a lot of different ways that are kind of have a common denominator about the luxury business, you know. And, and from that now, from that distribution business that is well anchored in Asia Pacific with over 2,000 point of sales, you know, and, and, and those brands, it's now for us to take the next step, which is to becoming, you could say, an omni-partner for luxury brands in Asia that connect, you know, the global brands to the Asian consumer. And to do that, you know, we build upon and optimize the distribution business, similar to what we've done together in, in our past assignments. It's about basically making sure everything runs well, digitize the processes, lean them out, 
faster is actually better quality, you know, so, uh, a mindset shift that we're bringing into the company. Because previously it was, yeah, if it takes long and we have 17 checks, it's actually better. And I'm saying, no, you know, you can digitize everything. You can be faster and better in quality. And we do a lot of that on the distribution part, you know, logistics, everything now ready for e-commerce, supply chain, kind of integrated inventories. And then basically, in addition to that, we're now adding very strong retail brick and mortar kind of competence, which means kind of we have now more than 100 stores, you know, across Asia Pacific. You know, we have retail excellence. We have basically measuring kind of where people are going, analytics, uh, mobile payments, you know, all of it that we're integrating and, and, and trying out. And then obviously E and S, so e-commerce and social commerce that we're adding on. You know, we now run more than 100 stores already across Asia Pacific, you know, in one of years from zero to 100. You know, we basically enable about 50 brands. We work on third-party marketplaces across the journey from the Alibaba, the, the T-Mall, the, down to Lazada and, and wherever it takes us, Amazon, uh, to make sure can it works. But we also have our own e-commerce where we can put the luxuries brands out there on their own platform, which is called Essentials. So there's a lot of distribution, retail, brick and mortar, as well as S and, and E and M commerce, omni-commerce, you can call it, you know. But then at the end, the crown, what we really focus is, is the consumer. And that's where we, there's a complete shift because as a distributor, you know, typically you're in a B2B for C business. You go to the retail outlet, to your chain store, and you hand it over and they, they sell it. What we are now doing is we're changing that around. We want to make sure that people understand the brands, understand the group. And so we invested together with Salesforce a lot into CRM. So we have a full kind of team here in Singapore, one in Manila, specialist in each of our, our 15 countries that are now basically making sure how do we collect the how do we make sure that we engage consumers? How do we bring them back on either platform? You know, it could be e-commerce, it could be brick and mortar. How do we analyze and then can go back with real good insights to the global brands about Asia? And so that has become a, a massive effort where we really, really are investing to make sure kind of understand consumer, build around the shopping options, maybe brick and mortar, social commerce, e-commerce, and then make sure that your distribution backbone, you know, supply chain, the HR systems, the finance systems, and everything is really robust. And I think with that, we can see now a, a very good momentum as we enter new markets, you know, you can almost plug and play and go in. And my ultimate goal is to go to those brands on, and, and say, this is Asia Pacific. These are the channels. Why don't you just tick, you know, like a, a checkbox on and say, I want to be there, 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 and we can make it happen for weeks. I think if you can get there, it's going to be a very interesting platform for, for luxury in Asia. Do you, do you foresee yourself now becoming more and more vertically integrated into the actual brick and mortar retail then, from a distribution point of view? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it, it's going that way. You know, even today, in, in most of the department stores already, our guys... Uh, they are selling it. So it's our staff. That's why we have two and a half thousand staff because they are basically in the department start selling. But now it's enabling them with, with the technology to make much more. So for example, all our staff now have a little tablet that we have. On that one, we have basically all the customer information, upselling information, customer collection, the sheets. You know, previously that was done on paper, manually, all lost, you know. And now we are collecting, you know, I checked it out last month, we collected about twenty-five to 30,000 luxury customer names a month. No, this is not bad. You know, it's early stage. But, you know, if you can now say, hey, we can get about five, ten times better, and you start collecting 100, 150,000 luxury consumer contacts and can really work with them every month, I think that's going to be a massive asset for us to, to help our brands grow. So I wanted to ask this 
What is your mandate and the focus for the company currently based on what you have already described, where you want to take them in the, from the distribution into the omnichannel retail for all the major brands in the world into the Asia-Pacific region there? You know, I was lucky to find Patrick Chong, who is a very uh, inspirational owner of a business, who said, hey, Wolfgang, I want you to take Lux Asia, my baby, you know, about 30 years apart and make it ready for the future. That's basically the mandate. Mm-hmm. And then we sat down and said, what does it mean? And it's really going from a distributor into an omni-partner, which has distribution, retail, e-commerce, and consumer services. And with that, basically, kind of, we are shaping the, the, the leadership teams, the processes, all the digital processes, you know. And, and it's really something where we sit together on a table with Patrick, myself, the leadership team, and really kind of envision the future and then start working and engaging our people. I'm very keen to know, because I've actually gone through the website of Lux Asia Group and actually looked at some of the values. And I know from working with you in the past, values is something very important, very driven the way how the culture and the, yes. the way how the team works. So I, w- I want you to share a bit about the values and the culture of Lux Asia. Now, I'm very happy to do that. And funny that you say it, because in the first management workshop that I had, I think it was in the second month of my time here, we, we sat down and redefined the values. It was very clear because I said, you know, this need to be the guidelines for how you take the company forward. Because once you have the strategy in place, typically I let go, you know, I empower everyone to go to make the best. And for that, you need to have very clear values in place. So our values are, you know, really taking what used to be a family-owned but professionally managed company into the future which would be kind of a a real professional company, which meant there are still some some values there about linking the employees long-term to us. There are values about making sure that kind of we are absolutely fair to everyone, which is important. But then we have married it also with values about transformation, values about courage, values about taking out. And so we put it all together. We call it respect, which I still believe is the biggest value that you need to have because if you work with respect in your company amongst each other with your business context and everyone else, you can do a lot already. You know, if, if you get that right, a lot of other things come because with respect comes trust and everything else. And, and so we, we put together seven, eight values that I think really define how we want to do it, you know, from, from respect to trust to transformation to, to courage to take the, the business forward. And, and, and we, we feedback a lot to those values and we discuss and, and, and see where we're heading. It's interesting because the, the whole, all the values form the word respect, which I thought was a very interesting way of looking at it. I have understood from your early introduction on Lux Asia that you actually work with major brands to provide an omnichannel distribution across the region. The question for this is, how do you go deeper with them into these regions and how do you help them so that there is an incentive for these major brands to work with Lux Asia to actually distribute products into the region as a whole? So I think there are two parts of it. One is Southeast Asia, you know, which is obviously our backyard, being a Singapore company. It's very different to many other regions in the world because we have 600 million people growing fast, but, you know, very, very different countries with completely different cultures. And I'm not talking languages, but it's the way how people smell, how do they do, you know. Malaysia, Indonesia, they like heavy fragrances, you know, and the rest of the region lighter fragrances. How, which colors they use, how they use, how do you import, you know, how do you build up a retail business. So basically, it's completely diverse, you know. I think for us to be relevant, and that's also where we're investing most, is, is the localization. Mm. It's about being there where kind of global MNCs, when they look at the whole map of the world, they see China, they see the US, they see some European markets, and say, wow, they're exploding, you know. 
and basically then taking that challenge of them to go into all these markets in, in Asia, you know, that are so diverse, will be the one-stop solution where we can help them. So, you know, actually, quite often people say, oh, yeah, but how big are your offices, you know, uh, in, in, in the different countries, you know, and they're always surprised. In Thailand, we have 400 people. In Malaysia, more than 400. You know, Singapore is anyway our hub. You know, Indonesia, more than 300, you know. All the other countries, you know, 100, 200, 300 people. So which means in each of the countries, we have a full management structure, HR, SAP, you know, supply chain, our own warehouses, which means kind of we can really take it on and we can take care of the full value chain. So from wherever we take it from the port uh, in Europe or US, up until the consumer is there, it's handled by Luxasia. And I think that's really which makes the difference, the trust. And if you then uh, also start to not only have these localized services, but basically digitize those in addition to that, I think we have a winning combination. What are the major products and services that Asia provide for the customer? So let me understand this. So if I am a big cosmetic brand, yes. or if I'm a big, uh, maybe even wine brand, I can talk to LuxAsia. Yes. And then I will probably need to work out the logistics. I will need to work out the fulfillment. I will need to work out how the sales channels are being set up. Your products and services are working onto each of these channels yes. to help them to actually just immediately distribute against. Do you also do sales and marketing as well? Yes, we, we do the full sale. Actually, kind of our, a third of, of, of the company employees are sales and marketing people. Mm-hmm. So basically what we do is, you would say kind of you have brand XYZ somewhere in France and say, I want to go into Asia. We have a conversation to say, which countries do you want to take? Which channels do you want to take? What's your digital strategy in terms of, of marketing? What's your brick and mortar strategy? What do you want to do? And so then we define the strategy. And then basically what happens is we take the goods off you. You know, we can take them from France. We import them in each of the countries. We have huge import organizations in each of them. We then basically restore them. We start building. We have also in-house architects to help build you kind of the retail implementation. We have digital specialists that do the digital marketing. We have third-party marketplace for e-commerce specialists that help you on, on those relationships. And then basically do the duties, the registration, the pricing. We can even kind of tailor the fashion labels that the, the ladies would, would basically wear and then get it out, sell it. So basically, it's really taking care of the whole marketing of the products and, and selling in, in the region. Who are the customers of Lucky Asia? From what I understand now, it's just other than brands. Are there any other like verticals that you can actually stretch out? Because I can foresee any new up-and-coming companies develop in the US, like some of those doing brands like uh, Wobby Parker or mm. something like that. They could also plug and play into your system, right? No, absolutely. And we, we, we just started in, in the Philippines with a few very, very interesting brands that are basically social commerce in the US only and, and with, a, with a few brick and mortar. And they're now going with us to say, kind of, can we explore Asia? One-stop solution, we start again with a little bit of brick and mortar, lots of digital marketing. And so we're really opening that up beyond the very core, core luxury and pushing it out. One interesting story is also that, uh, for example, Lego, the toy manufacturer, basically came to us and and chose us to do their e-commerce on, th- on, th- on third-party marketplaces, you know, in Southeast Asia. That's actually quite funny, mm-hmm. you know, because it's basically that they, they realized that, that vertically we are really strong and, and launched onto it. So, so I think you're absolutely right that at the end, as we're building this omni-channel platform, you know, 
third-party kind of brick-and-mortar, third-party e-commerce, own brick-and-mortar, own e-commerce, we can start actually kind of branching out in, in, in different industries. I wanted to know more about the geographical footprint of Lux Asia Group. I saw you sharing some of the interesting stuff, like you have actually physical stores in Philippines, I thought, yes. it's called the Freja. Yeah, Freya. Yes, Freya, exactly. sorry, it's called Freya. Yes. Yeah. What do you do in different countries? Do they have very specific, different, it could be some countries are very digital-oriented, it could also be that some countries could be very brick-and-mortar layered. Can you talk about that. So in total right now we have 15 countries. Mm-hmm. We, we cluster then in Greater China, which is basically North Asia, which is China, Hong Kong and, and Taiwan. We have obviously the whole of Southeast Asia. We have South Asia, where we have India, Sri Lanka, and then we have the Pacific, where there we have Australia and New Zealand. Now, when you look at the, the differences, you know, obviously China is on a, in a different kind of dimension when it comes to the digital kind of enablement. So what we have is actually we have a, our digital team and e-commerce teams have, have two areas. This is China and the rest. Uh, <laughs> so so it, it's very clear. Because, you know, the, the WeChat, WeChat empire, the, the way Tmall is, is, is moving, if you basically slow our Chinese e-commerce team down with the rest of the organization, it would not work. So we really separate that. So, so you can see it, it's a different environment there. Hong Kong has part of it. Taiwan is more like, like the other countries. Within those other countries, when you say, hey, kind of where are we really pushing digital versus brick and mortar, the, the Philippines, as you're absolutely right, is, is a very social media active country where there's a lot happening. <clears throat> we can see a lot happening also now in Thailand. Indonesia is waking up, you know. So, so the very interesting countries where you see a lot of these, these different areas. And in India, you know, we, we, we're doing a joint venture with uh, the second largest beauty e-commerce website, you know, called Purple. And so therefore also our default is, is digital and then some brick and mortar. So when you look at all our countries, actually the strategies are, uh, differ in terms of how deep we go. But they are not completely different, with the exception of China. They're basically kind of, you have certain brands, you have certain core brands that you bring in. You still have a department store set up for quite a few. You have a kind of a chain store set up for quite a few. And then a lot of digital and social media and e-commerce. But that kind of how much digital is then really sold really depends country by country. Do you foresee now the situation of you can actually even take what the in leading innovation in physical retail and digital retail or what they call smart retail in China mm out of China into the region? No, absolutely. We're learning, learning, learning. At the end of the day, and, and you know, I'm always saying I'm, I'm a very simple mind. It's only general, you know? Mm-hmm. It's about the consumer wants to have the choice to buy stuff wherever he, they, they, they just want. They are on e-commerce platform and then maybe want to buy brick and mortar. Then brick and mortar still want to buy it on e-commerce platform. They are on social media and just want to click on it and buy. So for us, it's giving those options. And I think what we can learn from, from China is the speed of implementing it. You know, because, you know, the, the technology and so forth is available everywhere. But it's just the speed and how the determination on how to make it happen. You know, and I think it's, it, it's basically that uh, we see the future in terms of what how social commerce and e-commerce looks like. And we can already anticipate it for the other countries. So what are the most important priorities for you to take Lux Asia to the next stage? Then? People people and people. It's all about people and mindset because technologies are here for every problem, you know, and, and I'm, I'm saying it, it's hard to be constrained by technologies, but it's very easy to be constrained by people. Wolfgang, I also know that you're a student of looking at major trends and you know, thinking about what how things like e-commerce, logistics, omnichannel retail is going. I want to hear some of the evolution of that thinking. I mean, from Singapore to Lux Asia, what are your current thoughts on e-commerce and omnichannel retail? What are the most interesting trends that you're seeing in this area? 
So I think you know when we started, it was very much about we talked about O square, the integration of omnichannel of, of e-commerce and brick and mortar. I think to be honest, the technologies are all out there. In different degrees, people have implemented. You know, some just on the surface, some go all the way down to the inventory and everything else and, and the joint fulfillment. You know, but I think the real interesting stuff is now happening on the consumer side, which artificial intelligence with the way basically they engage consumers and one can engage consumers now is on a completely different playing field. That, that, that was not around five, six years ago, you know, when we, we did that kind of to understand your consumer, anticipate the needs and then engage them. Engage them with all the technologies in the world from VR, AR and whatever tools you want to use, that's easy. But it's really about understanding if someone today basically goes in, in, into an area or is at home to know, hey, which of the products would she or he think about? You know, what would they do? And then basically push them in the channel that they would basically typically use. You know, is a customer X, is, is it a kind of a Monday morning person that basically spends an hour on social media? Then it doesn't help me if I put up kind of banners on e-commerce or extra kind of animation into my store. I want to be then on social media and I want to know which kind of fragrances or creams or anything would one use? So we're now doing a lot. So for Freya, you mentioned in the Philippines, where we're really trying to create a community, you know, much more than, than anything else. Selling is secondary. It's about people talking about beauty. We talk about looks like me a lot, you know, where people basically kind of put in certain things about themselves and then basically get the right looks that they would kind of find of interesting. So understanding more through a community that where people open up, you know, more about themselves and then basically having the ability to tailor something to them, which is not intrusive, but it's just there and says, hey, you know, by the way, we saw that coming in from the US now, looking at what you liked before and looking at what, what you said. We believe that that's a very interesting way. So for me, the revolution is really in the artificial space, in the consumer journey, engaging them. Help me understand this. So you're thinking that it's going from what I call a mass distribution market where they just fire and then they expect everyone to hit into with something like AI that will say something like mass customization. Exactly. That means you're customized to each individual user. That's where we are going and that's why we basically really put down our foot and said, hey, let's try that out with our own platform on Freya, where we're basically building a community. And we set our target for, for a couple of thousand signups, you know, within two weeks we've already been beyond 10,000 signups, where people said, hey, I want to talk about it, you know, I, I want to have something which is not intrusive and then have it tailored. So this mass customization is, is, is so real. And you know it yourself, you know, when you go out, you don't want to have that plaster thing. You want something that is relevant to you. And now the technology is available, and that's the beauty of it. It's mm. just about finding the right people. One interesting conversation I always hear you talking about, and I see that in your LinkedIn post, is about why millennials and transforming companies are a good match. So I want to ask you, what are the key traits you actually look for in millennials, and how do you put them together with companies that are actually seeking to transform, and yet there's a lot of age differences? I mean, people with very set and still culture, and how do you encourage the interaction? How do you facilitate them? I think the, the, the biggest strength of, of millennials and, and soon generation set coming into the workforce is they question everything. And, you know, that's so helpful in, in organizations that, that really want to transform. They question everything and they need a very good cause to stay on, which means it sharpens the leader's mind to say, hey, I really need to find a vision and a mission and values that are relevant. 
to everyone. Because if not, you know, they're gone. So I think it sharpens your mind to do that. And secondly, you have then a workforce that constantly about this says, hey, but I'm not too sure, you know, the old way was the right way. Can we not do it like that and that? And I think that's a, that's a stimulating kind of push for any transformation. Having said that, how do you put both together, you know? I think it's, it's about the, the common cause, the urgency to move, to do something very, very different. For us, it became very clear that we laid out to everyone to say, if we continue to do what we have been doing in the past for the next 10 years, I'm not sure whether there's a laxation. Because e-commerce companies, retail companies, they're all getting so much smarter. The brands themselves, they have the tools now, you know, to go on the, the, to social media themselves, to, to sell themselves, you know, to, to segment the customers themselves. So if we want to be around and have here the, the next 30 years and write history in Asia, we need to be, buckle up and really start investing into that. And so that really helps to create a culture where people are much more open than before to try out new things. Is it easy? Is it something where people do it all the time? No, absolutely not. You know, because we know, and you, you said I always talked about the communication part for a leader as being the most important. It's about communication, communication, communication. Because human beings... If they don't feel that urgency, they go back the way it used to be. So you need to keep it up and, and they need the fire burning. And millennials help because they constantly question things. They would raise their hand immediately and say, hey, but that's not what you said the vision is. Or this was not why I came, you know. And so it's a very good kind of feedback loop for a leader to see, hey, am I doing enough to keep everyone engaged? So cultural aside, do you actually look to the millennials for like inspiration to new ideas, like new ways of trying to get to customers? I mean, millennials actually use this social media totally differently from how we would have used it. Yes, absolutely. You know, I see it at home with my daughter and everything, you know, kind of the, the speed. You know, I, I, I'll try to use things, but, you know, before I even think about it, she's already done with everything and has 70 stories posted up and everything else. But also, you know, at Laksesha, we have 75% millennials. 75% of our workforce are millennials, you know. So which means it, it is basically the key engine to, to let us know what's out there, what's hot. And there's a lot of feedback coming back on, on, on the priorities we need to do and where we, where we should put our money. Let me ask you this. So what, what's your perspectives on now, on Asia, with the changing world of China and US and everything that's happening around maybe this trade war, maybe about Chinese influence in the region? Where do you see all these things going? I'm saying e-commerce, logistics. Do you think that all the center of focus is going to right being in the Asia Pacific? You know, I had uh, with friends a fireside chat uh, all over the weekend, uh, exactly on that topic. And, you know, I was thinking through aloud, you know, the, where one would like to be, you know, growing up now. And the conclusion was very clear, you know, you, you want to be in Asia. Uh, why? Because, you know, it is the sheer size of population growth that is coming to middle class, that is getting richer, that can afford certain things. You know, if you have three billion people, you know, we talk about China. It's just unbelievable, the scale. But by now, there are not many companies where China is not the number one market, you know. More and more, over the next five years, I think kind of for 95% of the companies, China will be number one. But wait another five years. Then it's not about number one. It's about, is it 30 or 50% of the business? You know, and India has not even woken up. 600 million people in, in, in Southeast Asia have not woken up. So once that wakes up, I think there's so much interesting kind of business demand to fulfill. So that's the first one. The second one is talents. It's amazing. You know, 
people are coming out and really wanting to change the world, doing something very, very different. There's such a dynamic in each of the different countries doing, and, and, and that are coming up, so talent. And the third one for me is just the diversity. It's just beautiful in Asia because wherever you touch down and, you know, I'm traveling a lot, you know, it's just different, a different culture, a different way of, of thinking, a different friendliness, different food. So it, it's a beautiful continent to, to, to be. And, you know, I'm European at heart, as you know, and, and I love to, to work in, in I love the time also in the U.S. So these are great areas. But I think if you look at the global scale, a lot of the innovation is going to happen in Asia. So Wolfgang, many thanks for coming on the show. But... I still have to close the show. So in closing, I'll usually ask two questions. And I'm probably going to say that probably other than myself, I can only name about five people who read not the same or if not more than me. So Wolfgang is one of those people. Yes. And my first question is, can you recommend a book, podcast or anything else that has impact to your work and personal life recently? You know, I always read books in parallel. Because, you know, kind of, I just like to do basically explore my mind. So I've been reading the, the book Sapiens for quite a while. And I've been rereading certain passages. Why? Because it, it is beyond just business. It's really about kind of how Homo sapiens came about. And to be honest, I learned a lot about in terms of the, the big picture and brought it back into, into our daily lives to know kind of why we are who we are why kind of certain religions have developed as they did, so it was very, very interesting. So, so I like that big picture. I read a lot of book of philosophy, and, and so that has, that's helping me to, to, to frame certain or ask, ask certain questions. The other ones, you know, which I like is, is, is Tools of Titans by, by Tim Ferriss. It's, it's a much quicker read. It's on a different <laughs> level, but there are very good stuff in there, you know. Good, simple tips to say kind of, you know, how, how do you get over, you know, if you're really tired in the morning, what are the five exercises, you know. <laughs> and, and, and that's good, you know, because you read it, it's kind of each chapter is, is, is 10 minutes and it's a very quick read, sometimes on the go and so forth. So I think I'm balancing off between the, the big picture as well as then going into very tangible little tricks to say, hey, how do I stay healthy and, and, and alive in, in, in that ever-changing world? Mm. So I probably have two books to recommend to you. One is also by Harari. It's called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which mm. is his most, most recent book. In fact, I think it's slightly different in tone, but I think you will find it much more able to take some of those lessons and actually mm -hmm. adapt it to their life. And the second book I thought I should introduce is by Reid Hoffman and Chris Yeh, um, called Blitz Scaling. Mm. It's about how I to, heard about yeah, it, yeah. yeah. I think the, the problem is that everybody can do a startup. Yeah. I think the question is, how do you take from a startup to scale up to a, to a nation, mm. to, a, to the size of a nation? And, and the way their thesis is that Silicon Valley has that set of ingredients in order to allow mm. them to do that. But today, even according to them, that there are other parts of the world also have the same capability. And mm. the framework not just can be used for startups, but it also can be used for corporations, corporations like yours. Excellent. So my last question, Wolfgang, and you have a very great social media presence. So please feel free to tell everybody how did my audience find you? Well, you know, I think the easiest one is just on LinkedIn. You know, my name is Wolfgang Bayer, so it's easy to, to find. And then I think from there, I'm, I'm happy to take it on. I have several kind of mentoring relationships in, in both ways that develop over LinkedIn. Where people say, hey, you know, I'm a student, I'm, I'm a millennial working here and there. Can you get me along? So, so I think it's very easy to find me. And I'm, I'm very open, always happy to chat more about those topics because as you can see, they, 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 I really get excited about mm -hmm. it. And I always see Wolfgang tweets very good articles on Omnichannel and, and logistics in his Twitter feed. So you should follow that as well. So you can Google me at Bernard Leung. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. 
So you can actually tweet to me, give us a five-star rating on iTunes or a star on Pocket or Overcast. And of course, most importantly, tweet me to your feedback. And uh, thank you for many who actually retweeted on the show recently. And I, Wolfgang, this is an interview that's long due. And I'm so thankful to have this conversation with you again. And let's talk again sometime in the future. You're welcome and thank you very much.